0: Well, we're going to continue our lesson through 2 Peter. And as we studied last week, we talked about people that were false teachers, preachers, authors, speakers, people that are out there who claim to know Christ and use that platform to lead others away, slow but sure. It also talks about people who use the gospel for personal gain, personal wealth. Uh, We use the phrase, it talks about exploiting The gospel. And that word exploit means to make merchandise of. Peter's talking about using the gospel to make themselves rich or using the gospel as a merchandising arm of their life. Now, if you remember, Peter goes into great detail and harshness concerning those who lead others astray. Because what they're doing is they're leading believers away from salvation and ultimately into destruction. And he mints no words when he said that. In fact, he goes on to further excoriate them. In verse 12, he says, in chapter 2, these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct who are born to be caught and killed. They laugh at the terrifying powers that they know so little about, and they will be destroyed along with them. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They revel in deceitfulness while they feast with you. They commit adultery with their eyes and their lust is never satisfied. They make a game of luring unstable people into sin. They train themselves to be greedy. They are doomed and cursed. They have wandered off the right road and followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs of water, or as clouds blown away by the wind, promising much and delivering nothing. They are doomed to blackest darkness. Now that's a lot, of, a lot of verbiage to talk about people who are spreading false information, false truth. And I think, you ever start talking about something and get kind of really animated about it and you keep talking about it like, like I just did with VBS? He is really animated about this. This is a big deal to him. And he wants to make sure it wasn't just a passing thought. It's probably something that's been eating at him for a while and he wanted to make sure that he, he focused on that. Let them know what he thought about it. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because I think we get the idea. You know, gospel good, false teachers bad. But inevitably, people who teach this stuff will lead others away. And when that happens and people come to not believe and then they become corrupted in their faith, here's what follows. Look at verse 19. We did that again. It says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and and corruption. For you're a slave to whatever controls you. They promise freedom. How many times do we hear people in the news today promising freedom from something? They want freedom from God. They want freedom from any laws or freedoms or freedom from anyone telling them what to do. They think that looting and burning down and rioting is freedom. They think aborting a baby is freedom. They think that letting your child choose if he's a boy or a girl when they're three or four years old is freedom. That's actually insanity, but they think it's freedom. They think that taking God out of the public arena is freedom. There is an organization we've probably all heard of it. It's called Freedom from Religion. Big nonprofit group. What happens when you, quote, are free from God? Anybody study post-Christian Europe? What's happening there? They were once a vibrant the center of the gospel. Europe. Now, they're all post-Christian. You have a lot of great, humongous cathedrals and things like that, but Christianity, for the most part, is dead. You've got pockets here and there, but for the most part, the countries are in disarray. They, most of them have went socialist. It's just, it's just a mess. Why? Because they took God out of, the, out of the arena because they think they can be free from God and do what they want. And what happens is you become a slave to that sin. Because that's all you think about. Anna sent me an article uh, by Ravi Zacharias. Y'all know who he is? Pretty good Christian guy, pretty good apologist. In the article, he quotes a guy by the name of Steve Turner, who's an English journalist. And he said, years ago, when when we reject the true God and we take his place, in other words, people take his place, this is the news that is going to follow. Quote, when you hear the state of emergency when you hear sniper kills 10, when you hear youths go looting, when you hear bomb blast school, that is simply the sound of man worshiping himself. You take God out of the arena and we become God, that's what happens. And what happens is the leaders and promoters of these things who some do it in the name of God now become slaves to this. They're unable to believe otherwise and unless they get saved, they become slaves to the corruption that this produces. What do I mean? Let's look at, look at abortion or homosexuality for a moment. You know, I'm sure there are, there are nonviolent, peaceful people that believe differently than we do. But in ye- recent years, the rhetoric has increased so much that now it's become violent in both of those arenas. And what happens is people are unable to give up their beliefs even though the things that are happening because of those beliefs they don't like. If, say, you're, you're a, a pro-abortion person and you're not, you know, you don't want to write, you don't want to pick it, you don't want to have all these things happen. But now they're happening. In the world and other people are taking it to the to the nth level and it's happening you would think that as a nonviolent person you would see what that is doing and you would back out of that belief but what happens is you don't you are now a slave to that position and even though everyone's doing something wrong you can't give it up because you're a slave to it it's one thing to know that there are people who teach against the truth and what their fate is. But what happens to the folks. Who listen to them. And follow them. And, and get influenced by those folks. Now I mentioned last week that. We are without excuse. You can say all day long that someone told you this. And you were taught this. And, and sure those guys will be judged at some point. But it doesn't free us from our responsibility. We can never use that as an excuse. Peter says this in verse 20. He says, And when people escape from the wicked ways of the world by learning about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up with sin and become its slave again, they are worse off than before. That's a big theological statement right there. In our last Wednesday night class, we were talking about uh, a guy by the name of Charles Templeton. And Charles Templeton was Billy Graham's associate. The two of them toured together when Billy Graham first started out. He was an evangelist, and him and Billy Graham were neck and neck. Throughout, we're not sure what happened in Charles's life, but he disavowed that and become, became a, an atheist. And when Billy Graham died recently, uh, Charles actually came to see him and talked to him and we don't know if he got saved or not but the point is he was with Billy Graham doing the same thing Billy Graham was doing and he slipped away. He fell away. There's a, there's a lot of folks that, I, that I'm friends with, a lot of theologians, great smart people that, that believe that once you become a Christian, you're a Christian forever. You can't lose that. I don't agree with that because we use the phrase once saved always saved how many have heard that phrase this one verse amongst others is one that kind of you know makes me think about that because when you have that if you use that phrase once saved always saved you have a false sense of security you begin to think well hey doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm saved, I'm making it I'm in but the truth is, Hebrews 3.12 says this, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Hebrews 6.4 says, for it's impossible to restore to repentance those who are once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. So they were saved. They had the Holy Spirit, they were saved. Verse 5 says, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. Verse 6 says, and then who turn away from God. So people had a relationship with God. They had this Holy Spirit. Now they don't. And he goes on to say, it's impossible to bring such people to repentance again because they are nailing the Son of God to the cross by rejecting him, holding him up to public shame. The point is, if you're listening to people who are not telling you the truth, and they're teaching false things or whatever. It might not even be about Christianity. It may be other things that will eventually tie into your faith. If you listen to that and you glom onto that, it will draw you away and you will not have a relationship with Christ anymore. Now, the folks who say that, you know, once saved, always saved, or eternal security, their point is, well, that person was never saved. They never really had a profession of faith. They experienced something, but they weren't saved. You know, smarter people than me have written volumes on both sides of the issue. But, yeah, it's fine. The outcome is still the same. You're not going to have a relationship with Christ. You're going to be led astray, and your punishment is the same. Whether you never believed, and you're drawn away by false teachers, or you do believe and are drawn away by false teachers, the result's the same. You're still facing judgment. Now, it also says you are worse off than before. Now, if you're facing God's judgment in eternity in hell, how can it get worse than that? Well, the reason it can get worse than that in verse 21 says this, it would be better if they had never known the right way to live then to know it and then reject the holy commandments that were given to them. Now, two aspects to this. The first one we call backsliding, right? We've all used that term or heard that term. That's you get saved and the cares of the world kind of draw you away and, and you're no longer part of the faith and you kind of walk away from church and God. You look at the parable of the sower and the seed. Jesus explains this. In verse Matthew 13, 20, it says, the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it. So they've, they've received the message, they've received Christ. But like young plants in such soil, the roots don't go very deep. At first they get along fine, but they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they have believed the word. They believe it, but once negative things start happening to them, They walk away. They don't need the grief. Then it goes on in in verse 20, or in verse 22. It says, the thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news. Again, they believe it. They become Christians. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares of this life and the lure of wealth, so no crop is produced. So they accept the truth, but it says they have no crop. If you plant seed and there's no crop, what happened to the seed? It died, right? It has no, it's worthless. It has no vibrancy to it. If you die, Romans 8.1 says, those of you who continue in flagrant sin will, will die. And it's talking about spiritual death. If you're a Christian and you're, you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, it's, it's sin, and you feel this conviction coming on you, and you keep doing it. That, that level of conviction is going to be less and less and less until you no longer feel convicted about doing it. You keep doing it, and now you walk away from the faith. You die spiritually, which is what they, what they mean by no crop, no seed. The, the seed dies. Now, the second aspect is hardening yourself to the truth. If you're on the other side and, and you believe that that person never believed, rather than being being a believer and falling away, now you have hardening yourself to the truth of the gospel. And we've all heard in the unpardonable sin, right? We all have heard teachings on that. I'm sure I've shared it. The unpardonable sin. The Bible says that no one comes to God unless the Spirit of God draws him, right? Holy Spirit draws you in. Holy Spirit puts that conviction in you and gives you the the feeling that you need to have God in your life. Well, if you hear that message and you feel that conviction over and over and over again and you reject it over and over and over again, guess what happens? That, that conviction, that Spirit's drawing gets less and less and less until you no longer are being drawn by the Spirit. He has no influence on your life. And the Bible says, the only way you can't get, sa- you know, the only pers- people who can't get saved are those who commit the unpardonable sin. It's not something that you do. It's something that you don't do. You don't respond to the gospel over many, many times of being exposed to it until you hear it so much you become dead to hearing it. How many of you have noises in your house that when you first moved in, they just drove you crazy, whether it's a roof crack or whatever it is. Over time, what happens? You don't hear them anymore. Same with your car. You drive your car, it has this little idiosyncrasy about it, and it bugs you for a while, then after a while, you don't feel it anymore. It becomes the norm. And if you've been in church and you've heard the gospel and you feel convicted and yet you do nothing with that, what's going to happen over time is you're not going to feel it anymore. You're not going to be drawn by the Spirit. And so if you're not drawn by the Spirit, you can't be saved. The Bible says my, in, that my Spirit will not always strive with men. There's going to come a point where God says, okay, you've heard it enough. I'm, I'm withdrawing my call on you. Which is for me is very dangerous. <laughs> Especially if you've been in church for a while. And you hear the gospel, and you hear it, and you hear it, and you keep rejecting it. And man, all of a sudden, you no longer feel that draw. You know, I said before at altar calls, if you're thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about him. That's the spirit of God drawing you, making you have to make a choice. He's saying, this is it. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. You need to make a choice. And every time you say, not today, the next time that voice is a bit smaller, And the next time it's a little bit smaller until it's gone. You no longer feel that draw anymore. And that's the unpardonable sin. Not accepting what God has to the point where you no longer hear it. And if you no longer hear it and the Spirit's not drawing you anymore, no one comes to God unless the Spirit draws him. So so Peter ends this train of thought for the moment and now he starts chapter two. Now, we all know that Originally, there were no chapters and verses, right? It was all one, one writing. Man interjected chapters and verses to make it a little bit easier. So it's kind of the same thought, but he goes on and he explains the reasoning for this letter. In verse one, he says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember and understand what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. He wants them, two things, to not forget what he's taught them and to remember what the Bible said. Now, the Bible for them was the Old Testament. Remember what God said in the Bible in their Old Testament. And he wants them to think for themselves. In other words, don't just rely on me. I'm not gonna be here. Peter said, I'm not gonna be here. This is my last letter stimulate your wholesome thinking. Think and study for yourself. Don't just rely on others. If the only time you get any spiritual nourishment is because you're listening to somebody else, you're missing out. The Bible says stimulate your memory, think for yourself, study for yourself so you know for yourself. And the two points he says here, remember the things I taught you. And understand the Bible for yourself. Now, he's kind of animated again. And I think the reason for that is verse 3. He says, first, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. Now, technically, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended. These are the last days. But we're closer than ever to the return of Christ, right? So we shouldn't be surprised or upset that these things are happening. Now, we do get upset. We watch the news and all that stuff. But the Bible says, there's going to be scoffers who laugh at you and they will do every evil thing they want to do. Does that sound familiar in the news? Do you think the recent shootings would come under every evil thing? Going back to that article by Ravi Zacharias, he writes this, he says, the power of the individual to kill with words or weapons is used to expose the hate that we nurture in our godless times. We took the Bible out of schools, we took prayer out of schools, we punished people who mentioned God in public graduations, we mocked the name of Christ and with profane delight, we have lost all definitions for everything like marriage, and sound pathetic while trying to give answers for the cruelty of our time. It's easier today to preach the gospel in once hostile countries than it is in America, which has now celebrated the absence of God. Wow. Peter tells us what these excuses are gonna be from the people that do this. Verse four, he says, this will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. And this circles back to knowing what you believe. If you listen to them and to these excuses, it may sound logical. Unless you know God's word for yourself. That's why you need to be discerning in what you listen to and understand what you know. False teachers, atheists, agnostics, and just regular unbelievers will try to use Scripture to either justify their actions or argue against the reliability of God's Word. Nothing new. The devil did it with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all uh, creatures the Lord God had made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say... You must not eat the fruit. How many have ever questioned, have been questioned, did God really say that? Where does God's word say that? The devil used it against Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 5. It says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he orders his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. That's scripture, but it's only part scripture. We know the devil's a liar, and we know the devil will always misquote and twist what the Bible says. He's a great imitator. He can't do anything on his own, but he imitates everything God wants to do, and he misquotes the Bible to us all the time. We said those things last week of things that we, it sounds scriptural, but aren't. People will, will try to lead you away from your relationship with God sometimes using Scripture. We were talking last week about Jehovah's Witnesses were knocking on someone's door and uh, should I let them in? Should I talk to them? And I said, well, if you know where to go, if you can show them in the Bible, you can use your Bible as a weapon, bring them in. If you can't, if you don't know, and the Bible says then don't bring them in. Don't bring him in. Why? Because they, will, they have their own version of the Bible, and they will twist things that are in the Bible to make, make you believe that the Bible says things that it doesn't say. And so we need to be vigilant in our study of God's Word so that when people come to us and they try to explain away their reason for doing evil things by using God's Word, we need to know what God's Word says. That's why Peter says, Remember and understand. Verse 5 says they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God also commanded that the heavens and earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish. Peter uses two examples from the Old Testament that they believe, that's their Bible, they knew it to be true, And he says, remember these things, remember the flood, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, remember them. If those are true and you believe those are true, don't forget God also said he's going to burn it up. And just to make the point about the judgment coming on false teachers, that the same God who made the earth, flooded the earth, which really happened, is the same God who said he's going to burn everything up on the day of judgment. When's Christ coming back? How many were Christians back around 88, 1988? How many remember the book? 88 reasons Christ is coming back in 1988. Well, when that didn't happen, the guy rewrote it and said, well, 90, 89 reasons Christ's coming back in 89. We don't know when Christ is coming back. The Bible says nobody knows. No one can predict it. But he does say, There are things to take notice of to prepare you that he's coming. And I've read numerous articles saying that every prophecy that needed to be fulfilled before the return of Christ has happened. The only thing that is keeping God away from returning is that he wants people to be saved. In fact, Peter says it in verse 8 and 9. He says, but you must not uh, forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years for the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time for everyone to repent. So why hasn't Jesus returned? If everything's been fulfilled, I think the gospel was on every continent and every country. Everything else that was predicted to happen before the rapture has happened. He's giving us more time to lead others to Christ. So those folks you're praying for are invite your one day. God is giving us those days to be effective in. That's the reason he hasn't come back yet. However, we don't have an infinite amount of time Time will run out for us. Whether we die or Christ returns, time is running out. After it runs out, people that don't know Christ, out of luck. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens and earth will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything in it will be exposed to judgment. If you're not ready when Christ returns you're facing a difficult time. You're going to go through the tribulation and you're going to face judgment. We talked about the shootings last week or so. The first thought that came to my mind were they ready? I think we mentioned this last week. Were they ready to meet Jesus? are we ready to meet Jesus? If we walk out of here today and drop over from a heart attack, are we ready? Or are we kind of putting it off? I'm going to close with this, this scary thought. Now there's two schools of thought on this and the jury's out for me right now but I'm, I'm studying on it. I know a good friend of mine believes this. And the theory is this. If you, are, if you hear the gospel now before the rapture, if you hear it and you reject it after the rapture, you will not be able to get saved. You will not. Now, where does it say that? It comes from 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Talking, Paul's talking about the Antichrist. He says, this evil man will come to do the work of Satan and counterfeit, with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of wicked deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction. That's the people who hear the gospel now, but don't, really, don't believe it. Way the destruction because they refuse to believe the truth that would save them. So they hear the gospel and they reject it now. And in verse 11 says, so God will send a great deception upon them and they will believe all the lies. In other words, they're not going to believe the truth. So if you're hearing the gospel today and you're rejecting it, thinking at worst case scenario, I'll get saved during the tribulation. Not going to happen. Now again, two schools of thought on that. But you know what? You're going to take the risk. (laughs) People who we've invited to church, who have heard it and walked out, it's very vital that we keep after them. Because if this is true, then they're not going to be saved if the rapture happens. So we have to be sure that we've done everything in our ability, our power to tell them about Christ so they can make an informed choice. Peter is really trying to build the church up so that it can be all that it can be after he's gone. And just like Lynette said, the more you try to do for God, the more attacks you're going to get from the enemy. And a lot of those attacks are gonna be in the form of something that sounds really good, but it's not quite scriptural. It'll sound good, it'll sound like you wanna believe it. In fact, it may sound so good that you really need to believe it, and it leads you astray. Last example I'll use, and I I promise I will close after this. You know what that means? Nothing. When we were going through the book on a Wednesday night class, one of the chapters was on uh, hell, the reality of hell. And there was a, an, Lee Struble did the book and he, he interviewed a guy who's a you know, good theologian, solid Christian. But his view on hell is not that it's fire, that it's just, if I remember right, it's just you remembering all the things. That you had a chance to be, could have done, and the absence of God. No good thing. But it's not technically fire. You're not on fire. It's not eternal torment in the form of f- fire or flame. And I read that and I went, man, that would be really nice if that were true. And I was really hoping it would be true. It sounds, you know, man, it's that takes a lot of burden off of us if that's that's what hell is really like. And that's how easy it is to suck into something that sounds good and you really want it to be true. But it's not. Hell is a real place. Fire is real. Pain is real. Suffering is real. That's truth. We don't like it because it's not popular. And we're afraid of all the people we know is going to wind up there. That's still truth. And we are given an awesome responsibility of making sure that as many people don't go there as we have the ability to do. That's why invite your one is such an important thing. And as Keith said, it's not just a one time thing, it's a mindset that we all have to be in. The urgency that maybe tomorrow Christ returns. Maybe it's tomorrow. And all these people you've been praying for and I'm going to talk to them next week. They're not going to have it. You're not going to be here to talk to them about it. We have today. Would you stand as we close this morning? Close your eyes for a moment if you would. I know it's summer and a lot of folks are away on vacation. I I hope everyone has a safe and blessed time. And that means most of us here have been here. We're not strangers to our church. But the truth is you can sit in the church a long, long time and not ever really come to know Christ. As we said before, if you've heard the message and you keep rejecting it, it's going to come to a point where you don't listen to it anymore. If you're here, I think that nudge is still there. I think the Holy Spirit's still drawing you. It may be weak, but it's still drawing you. And you're here not because of an accident or even by your own choice. You're here because God wanted you to be here for something that happened today. And maybe this was the thing you needed to get your attention. So if you're here and you're not really sure about your relationship with Christ. You think you might have it. You're not sure. You know, the Bible says these things are written that you may know. If you're a Christian, you know where you're going. You know you have a relationship with Christ. But if you don't, if you're not sure, you have doubts, chances are pretty good you don't have that relationship. So if you want to make your, the Bible says, your calling and election sure, this is the day to do it. If you want to know Christ, you want to know forgiveness of sin, you want to have that relationship, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to assume that we are all committed followers of Christ. Father, we thank you for reaching down into our lives and doing whatever it took to get our attention so we may come to know you. And we thank you for your word which is plentiful. We can find your word anywhere and everywhere. I pray that we would know your word. Your word tells us to study and show ourselves approved by you. By you. Not by anybody else. We want you to approve our study. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless each person here. Allow us to grow in our knowledge of you. And allow us to have discernment. Allow us to have wisdom when studying and when listening and when making choices. And then, Lord, I pray that you would put that sense of urgency in us, that burning in us, Lord as paul said i would i would give up my salvation for all of my fellow Jews to be saved now we can't do that but father have us let us have that same sense of urgency to do whatever it takes to bring someone else to christ lord begin with me i pray your blessings upon each person here allow us to leave knowing that we have been in your presence knowing that we've experienced the power and the person of the Holy Spirit and let our lives be a little bit different because of it. Lord, I commit each person to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Amen. Have a great week. Regular Wednesday night starts this week. Studying uh, David Jeremiah's book about giants in your life, things that are constant. We all fear, doubt, worry, all those things we're going to study. So be here. or be square.